One of the things I love as we uh, walk through maybe a, a book of the Bible where we have a, a series where we're spending a long time kind of looking at a, a real uh, specific area is the joy we have of kind of doing it uh, step by step or, or week by week. It's not just kind of just this one moment that we got to hit something or this this kind of idea, even if you think of it in a, the baseball playoff term, the idea that, you know, we got to swing for the fences every time we come here on a Sunday morning, but we're just moving the bases runners along. I know they don't do that anymore. Uh, they just swing and strike out or hit home runs. But anyways, that's a different uh, uh, tale. Uh, but the idea that every week we just kind of build upon what God's word is building upon. And the writer of Hebrews has been doing the same thing. If you've noticed over the last few weeks, we've been kind of really focused on this idea of Jesus being the high priest, and that as we look back into the Old Testament, we've seen some areas of God's people, um, in a sense, kind of going their own way. And so that happened in the wilderness. It happened even when they entered into the promised land. They were going their own way. And God was reminding them again and again and again that we are prone to do that. We're prone to do our own thing. In fact, he broke down in chapter 3. It was the idea that they were complaining and were to encourage over complaining. And in chapter 4, we talked about the idea that they were trying to control their own destiny or their own ideas, and they were to rest in God. And so this message that the writer of Hebrews is getting at to this church that is facing difficulty is to be able to trust God and trust Jesus instead of what they're desiring to do. That's a pretty heavy thought if you think about how often we do what we desire we want to do. Like if we want to do something, we do it. And yet God's word is saying there's a better way, there is a good way for us to go, and it involves us trusting God. Another way we can look at it, idea, is to say that <laughs> what draws a person to do the opposite of what feels natural to us, like what, what does that? What, what causes that to happen? What recognize when I say, I want to do this, but I'm going to do this because I trust this more than I trust that. Ultimately, this is what faith is. Faith changes us. It draws something out that we do that is not what we naturally want to do. Like when we are in the midst of things not going our way, it's natural for us to complain. When we're scared of what's coming next, what do we naturally do? We want to grab it and hold on to it even tighter. And so far, the writer of Hebrews is saying that's not what is good. What is good is to exhort one another, encourage one another, as long as today is today. What is good is to find your rest, your peace in God, and not in what's around you or what the circumstances that are happening. All of this is to say, well, how do we know that? How are we sure of that? Well, at its core, we believe that God's word does surgical work on our soul. The very core of all of this is we believe that God's word is very breath of God speaking to us, letting us know who he is, and in part, what we are or who we are, and that is doing surgical work on our soul, that our soul needs the surgical work, and that God's Word is capable of doing that. You see, what we'll look at here at the end of chapter 4 
is the living and active word of God. And the gift and the beauty and the, the, <coughs> the precision of his word to speak into the very essence of who we are. Now we're going to look at verse by verse in this idea, but we also want to recognize as we do that, it's in the bigger context. And so in, or sorry, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, this might be a verse you've heard or seen before. It says, for the word of the God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of the joints of the marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. The writer of Hebrews is emphasizing in this moment that we can trust God and it can be good for us in these moments that we need clarification and direction because God's word is a double-edged sword, alive and active. Now, when he he says this phrase, (coughs) when he uses this, it's indication of a double-edged sword that, that, that cuts through the flesh and brings healing to the soul. Now, recognizing a double-edged sword is intentional here, that they're not talking about a single-edged sword, which, when you think about that, is actually very rough and inefficient, okay? Because as you stick a knife or a sword into somebody, that if it only has one side, you're only doing that damage on the one side that's cutting through, but you're actually tearing apart the flesh even worse as you pull it out because it doesn't have that nice uh, cut on one side. It's rough on the other, so you're ripping apart flesh as you pull it out. A double-edged sword actually is more effective because it slides in easier, and as it's pulled out, it doesn't cause extra damage in it. And so when we think about these ideas, we've got to redefine kind of what our thought is. Even the idea of a sword itself makes us think that <laughs> it's used in evil intent or it's used in some kind of uh, um, you know, way to harm the other person. But yet, in the context of what we're going to see, this double-edged sword could be the idea of also a, a, a doctor you know, cutting or a scalpel used to, to help heal person because of the infection that they have. And so our mind doesn't just go to, well, it's a double-edged sword because... God wants to give us a dagger. He wants to stab us in the back. He wants to hurt us in some way. But there is actually tenderness and kindness in the idea of a double-edged sword that God's word is using. But we also have to see that it it is effective and that there isn't really anything like it because it's the very breath of God used in surgery and we can't even compare it to anything else. In fact, as the writer uses this phrase, the word is a living and active. It's alive because Psalm tells us it endures forever and it lives because it has life itself to it. That's one of the great catches you and I can have when we read scriptures to say, is this only working for me in 2022? Because that would mean that it's not alive for all the other generations and all the other centuries before and all the generations and centuries ahead of me. God's word lives on forever. 
Because God is living, and we know from 2 Timothy 3.16 that his word is God's very own breath. And so these connections all the time, when we say God's word speaks to me or God's word is God, we recognize that even Jesus identifies himself as the word in John chapter 1 are all these indicating that this is God revealing himself, showing himself to us, and he chose this written form to do it. Again, you and I can sit there and say, well, why didn't, you know, he decide to come in 2022 and we can make a video and it can go viral and we can have all, well, there's something beautiful about this that, that, that we capture and we recognize that this is God seeing it as good. Even God in the idea that in the very beginning, it was life itself that came from his mouth, from his word as he spoke, everything came into existence. And now through his word, through his breath, we have the very revelation and character of who God is. And in fact, it's an amazing thing to realize every time we pick up the Bible. Every time you pick up the Bible, it's an opportunity to say, God is revealing himself to me. God is speaking to me. This isn't just an ancient text that we tear apart to, to, to figure out whether or not it's, it, it's, it's valid or not. <clears throat> this isn't an ancient text just for us to understand a period in history. This isn't just an ancient text for, for some morality code that I have to live by. But this is God's word breathed to me. That is a double-edged sword that cuts into the very soul that I have and leads me and guides me in a way to, to know what is good and not good, to what is healthy and unhealthy, to, to lead me to God himself and that I fall into his very existence and character to glorify who he is. You know, I get sometimes we, we, we take things in short little bites and we use things but we got to be very careful that we don't lose the beauty of what it is. And the writer of Hebrews is using this as a warning to, to tell us that it doesn't matter your age or education. It doesn't matter if you're 12 or you're 102. That God's word is used in this way and it is used in a way to be able to bring us to this understanding of who he is. In fact, Isaiah 55 says <clears throat> that so my word will go from my mouth and it will not return empty but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent. That God's word, as you've heard that phrase, does not come back void. And it has power because it is alive and active like a double-edged sword. The writer goes on to say it splits between the soul and the spirit, the, the joints and the marrow, the, the thoughts and the intention. And this isn't a, a scientific moment here. This isn't to even define what is a soul or a spirit or thought. It's to, I, to say that God's word goes into places that you and I can't even fathom or think about, or you and I can't even understand. I mean, the, the difference between the bone and the marrow, and it, it is so tiny, so, so small that God's word splits into that. It gets into every single spot because God's word is God himself speaking to us. James uses the idea that his word is like a, a mirror that's revealing not only who God is, but who we are as well too. I remember being 16 years old 
and just finding out that I wasn't uh, able to play in my upcoming basketball season as a sophomore in high school, which was a pretty dramatic moment as a 16-year-old as my whole identity was focused in that. I had torn a, a ligament in my finger. It was one of the weirdest kind of injuries you can have. Um, you, you hear about your knee, but I did it in my finger. Like one day I was playing and all of a sudden, like this part was on top of that part. And I kind of looked at it and was like, that's not good. Uh, <laughs> I'm not a transformer. Uh, and so so I popped it right back in and I kept playing and it kept doing it and it wouldn't stop. And I realized there was a problem with that. And um, I can still, you know, remember the moment the doctor telling me that. And as he told me that, I said, but, you know, I got practice tomorrow, doc. I got to go to practice. And he kept looking at me like, no, you're having surgery. And it took me a while to figure it out. And my uh, mom was there and she recognized it right away. And, and, and I got to this moment later on in that day where I sat down in my bed and I picked up, you know, one of those teenage devotionals that we, we're always handing out and no one ever does, uh, <clears throat> you know, and, and, and I picked one up and I picked it up to where I was supposed to be that I knew I wasn't on that moment, <clears throat> but I picked it up and I remember reading for the first time in my life, a mirror right back into my heart, into my soul. That God's word spoke to me through Paul as Paul said that even when he was weak, he was strong. And now Paul was talking about understanding God's grace and his sufficiency, and it had nothing to do about sports and an, and an injury, but it was in that moment that I recognized that there was something about this moment coming up that God was going to use in my life that I didn't know and I didn't understand, but I was going to trust him in that moment. And for the next three to four months, it was a moment when God was beginning to shift me from saying my identity was not in what I did, but my identity was in who I was in him. And I didn't master that class in those three months. I didn't figure out everything. I didn't get all the right answers. I kept screwing up over and over again. But it was the beginning of a journey. That God's word began to, to, to speak to me. God's word began to be a, a mirror revealing back to me the goodness of God and yet who I was at the same time. Now, this is what God's word does. This is the impact that God's word can have. This is how God's word can, can speak and is alive and is effective. And it's this gift of self-knowledge that speaks to us. This is why we enter into it, not just saying, God, I, I, you know, I, I, I want to know you, but I enter it, God, I want to know you. And then through you, I want to know me so that I can understand how much I need more of you. And as you do this, you recognize these things and you understand these things. It grasps this idea. And I love this idea of this serpentine ways of our hearts. This idea that within us, there's this serpent ideas that we want to just do what we want to do. And God's word helps to bring that out in us, helps to reveal that in us. Don't you love when you have an altercation with somebody? And they do something and you go quickly right to their intent. Oh, that's, who, that's just who they are. But in reverse, when you do something wrong, you're quickly say, well, that's not who I am. That's a great indication of that serpentine ideas within our heart. Our own heart wants to deceive ourselves. Our own heart wants to convince ourselves we are masters of our own universe. We know what's best. We can do what's best. We know how to fix everything. We know how to live out everyone else's life. And if you're unconvinced of that, just go on social media for a few minutes. You'll see how everyone believes that to be true. 
And God's word does this magical, surgical work within us that exposes us, not your, not your neighbor next to you, not your, your family members, but exposes us in a surgical way that only a double-edged sword can do and should bring out in us and say, no, it's not about them, it's not about this person, it's about your own heart and what your own heart wants to do. And God's word does this. It, 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 he goes now and the writer, <coughs> the author switches from God's word to God himself saying that's an ex- knowing and exposing. This is how we know these two concepts are connected <coughs> because then in verse 13 it says that no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed in the eyes of him who we must give account. I don't know if you ever read that and just kind of got a cold chill over your body kind of a little bit of goosebumps in a not so good way. But that realization that everything is exposed and naked before the Lord and we must give account of it. Can't hide it. Can't run from it. Can't just uh, wish it away. That God's word is telling us (laughs) that everything is known and seen before God, that God sees everything. Now, this is both good and not so good. It's good that no one's getting away with things. And so we got to recognize that, that everything will be brought before the Lord. It's also not good that you're not getting away with everything. And so God sees that and he knows that. And everything is this idea that is laid bare. It's literally saying uncovered and, and naked. Some of the the beauty, even of you think of Genesis chapter 2, when Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed before each other, that word, that idea of of intimacy, that they were bare with one another, that all was known, and there was this oneness together. What we strive for in marriage even today, even though it's difficult with two sinful people, but we strive for that. What God is saying in this moment here is that you are naked before God. There's no covering up. There's no hiding. There's nothing you can do to to pretend or act like it doesn't exist or isn't there. And even it's not just your actions, but your thoughts. If you go back to the the verse before, your intentions, your thoughts, all of this is laid before God. It's exposed and is, is naked. Everything, everyone is stark naked before God. There's nothing we can hide. And so even before, as I said, this idea of, of kind of self-acknowledgement and a mirror, that this is a, this is a sobering truth. It's one we just can't just kind of wish away, but this is the reality of us. Yet in all of this, again, this is what is so, so, so uh, to me, just so refreshing of who God is. This is why I kind of broke up the passage in the way that we broke it up or we're preaching on it today is because I want us to see it continuation and I don't want us just to stop in this moment. But the continuation of another famous passage that's followed right after that. And in fact, if you don't connect these two, you lose so much of the, of the richness of God. That he just tells us what his word does. He just tells us that we're exposed and we're naked before him. And then he says, then since we have such a great high priest who passes through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. 
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet is without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. You see, this very moment that as we recognize what God's word does and we allow God's word then to, to, to bring out in us the, the, the truth of who we are, we let it do its surgical work in us and we recognize everything is exposed before God, it leaves us with a big problem. It leaves us with a big problem that we have a big situation coming up that we have no answer for. And yet now the writer of Hebrews says, and yet our answer, our, our hope, our faith is in back into who is Jesus. And so it starts out a few chapters before by saying Jesus is our high priest. And though he's our high priest, we can trust him. And let's not go down the path of hard-heartedness like the, the Israelites did. Let's not let us fall into the traps of thinking we can control our own destiny. But let's rest in the high priest because his word is going to bring exposure to who we are. And it's going to do its work in us. And everything is going to be before the Lord. And yet now let's come back into this relationship, into this connection to our high priest who is Jesus, who in our very time of need, we can draw near to him. Like in every aspect of life, if we are going to be naked and exposed, we're going to run from it. We want to hide from it, right? You're driving down the road and all of a sudden the cop car lights come on behind you. We don't, we're like, we're, we're fearful of that moment. And then they, they hopefully go flying past and it's not you that they're going to get. Like that's, 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 that, that's how we, we react to this. And yet in this moment, God is saying, even though we know we are busted, even though we know we're guilty, we draw into God. We draw near to him. We hold on to our faith and our confession of who Jesus is. And in this beautiful moment, we recognize that God is understanding. Jesus is sympathetic. This word sympathizer is, is to, to know that they are to share the experiences of another. That Jesus is sympathetic to our sin. Not that he knows that sin because he hadn't fallen to that temptation. He, he, he knows it even greater than we do because we've given up. If you think about running a race, <coughs> we've given up at, the, at the, you know, the halfway mark. Jesus has seen it all the way through. But he's sympathetic to us because he knows what that's like. He's experienced those things. He has this common relationship with us. And this is the balm of knowing God's character. Is knowing that this is who he is. And we can draw near to him. Without hesitation or tentativeness. In fact, even if you think about the, the high priests of the Jewish time... They had to go into the holies of holies with a, a, a rope around them and bells because they were fearful that they might die and no one else could go in there and their body would rot in there so, so they would drag them out if they didn't hear the bells keep moving. I don't know about you, but I'd be walking into that moment pretty scared. Be walking that moment, at, at, you know, kind of like, I'm not sure if I should do this. But when we come to Jesus, we, we can come with confidence. 
We don't have to have our head down. But when we walk into Jesus, we don't have to walk into him saying, Lord, oh man, I did it again. Because he'll look at you and say, child, I know. I know. And I died for you knowing that you would do that. Come to me with your head up high, gazing into my eyes, knowing that you will find what you need is mercy and grace. And the surgical work of God's word tells us this over and over and over and over and over and over again. And we come with this confidence to find this mercy and grace. I want you to think about that idea of time of need. Because whether you realize it or not, today is that time of need. Now, some of us know because of situations in life. Some of us know because of things we're working through. But whether you recognize it or you not, today is a day of your time of need. I want you to think even maybe when was the last time that God's word did surgical work on your soul? When was the last time you picked up God's word and it just did something to you in a way that you can't even describe or can't even come to, to understand? Again, I don't, I don't share things just to say, because, hey, look at me, I'm so wonderful. I'll tell you, it doesn't happen every time I open up God's word. There was a few moments a few weeks ago, I remember looking at it. I was with Mike and Ryan, we were doing our podcast, and just reading Philippians chapter 4, and that famous verse that we take out of context, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But I was reading the context, and I was thinking it through, and I was processing it, and it was just doing some work on my soul. It was a moment where I just kind of was like, man, I just kind of sat with it for the next few hours. I even asked Mike to, hey, can you send me a little bit of that recording? Because I want to hear what I said, because there's something in that moment that it was like God was, was just doing work in me again. Reminding me that I am free from, from the pressures of having to have it all or the worries of having nothing because I have everything I have in Christ. And in that freedom, I can do all things because I'm no longer bound. And God's word is doing a work in me. God's word does works in us if we sit with him, if we allow it to sit with us. And then in that moment, we recognize the, 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 the danger, the, the, the pressure that we're under because everything's gonna be exposed and naked. And then we recognize, but wait, I know the character and the nature of my God and I can come to him and I will find what I need in my time of need. And so if we allow God's word to expose us, we will know we are in that time of need. And we have allowed this to happen. We have this promise that we are naked and known, but we can come to him and find that promise of mercy and grace. You see, we know the God of the Bible and we sit with him and we let him sit with you. What a gift that we have every day. It's not just a clock we got to punch in and punch out. We got to just do our 10 minutes. We got to do our routines, but we get to sit with the God of the universe. We get to allow him to, to reveal himself to us and then through that reveal us and then us to know the path forward. And when we don't know the path forward, we just simply trust him to know what to do next. 
And if we would fill up our time with all those things, we probably wouldn't have so much time to worry about complaining or arguing or quarreling. We wouldn't have so much time to try to control things and do things ourselves. We would just keep resting back in him because we understood the the God of the universe, the Jesus is our heart, priest that we can come to and we can find.